This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. All right, folks, please be seated. Yeah, great, great to have all of you here today. Great to have such a nice audience. And, and today, again, I want to talk about what's the art of letting go and how are we going to deal with, with the financial anxieties in our lives and, and what does God have to, have to tell us. Now, I used to think that I was the only one with financial anxieties. Would all of you in the audience who harbor at least some financial anxiety please raise your hand? All right, so you are among friends here at Nutris Life. We all struggle with that. And, and, and it's not a service where I'm going to tell you, well, you know what, this is the big investment. This is what to do. It's not that. It's about how do we create different perspectives around this? Because there's certain things we can control. There's certain things we can't. And if we're going to learn the art of letting go and the art of really trying to see life from a spiritual perspective, we just have to be able to shift our perspective, our view on things. Now, when you look at financial concerns, this anxiety that's created, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of it, it deals with the era or the, the time you are in your life. People in early career will have one set of worries, mid-career will have another, late career, retiree will have a third. We all have these different worries. And that's been a surprise to me as a pastor. When, when I came into this, I've been a pastor now for 10 years, uh, ordained 10 years, eight years here at New Church Live. I, I sort of had my list of what I thought people's worries were going to be. And what's been a consistent surprise has been how much these anxieties really do take a toll on people. They really get hard. They're hard to wrestle with. They're hard to figure out. It's hard to to not believe there's one great answer out there. I don't really think there is. And how do we do that? So to get us in the place of understanding what these anxieties are, I want to start out with Luke Frazier, who's going to offer real quickly, you know, where he is in his life and what the anxieties are when you're a 20-something. So please welcome Luke. Morning, everybody. Um, it was funny when Chuck asked me this morning to, to speak about it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious because literally I was writing in my journal this morning, uh, man, this idea about money really freaks me out. And then right afterwards, I was like, well, it, it typically comes back around somehow, so why should I worry about it? Um, I think my experience is like, the really the, the key that I wanted to sort of share was like a year ago when I graduated college or finished up was like all this excitement and it was awesome. It was great. And then like a week later, I got a letter that said, by the way, you have to start paying back your loans ASAP. So it was like high write down and shot low. And, um, you know, I had like three days of just full anxiety. Like I couldn't do anything. Like it was like money was just holding me back and really freaking me out, and like what I wanted to do, all these big lofty dreams and goals totally went out the window, and I forgot about that, and was like, how can I sustain myself financially? I still am figuring that out, but am, I feel just in much, just, I guess, a better place of peace, and, and just more clarity and understanding that like, the more I put this out there, and, and if I need help, ask people, ask people for work, or ask whatever it is, or have that job, like it always kind of comes back around and the more I end up giving in some ways, it just kind of always works out. So almost I, you know, every time I go to that place of like worry and freaking out and even this morning, just like kind of have that prayer and hold that prayer in mind of like, it'll, it'll end up working out as long as I keep working. You know, I, I can't just 
sit stagnant. But as long as I keep going and hold that faith, um, you know, it, it does it does come back around. Thank you, Luke. Stay right there. So what I wanted to do is just open it up for one more volunteer. Luke's actually going to pick you this time. One more volunteer who'd like to share, just real quickly, like just think like two or three sentences. Yeah, and now that I'm in my, and you can lie about your age if you want, but this is church. Um, you know, now that I'm in my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, mid, midstream, this is what my worry is. Just so we can kind of see like how worries change or maybe don't change over time. So I need someone to just raise their hand. Luke's going to run out and pick you, and then I just ask you to share two or three sentences on that. Now that I'm retired, and even though I have a pension, I, I worry that when I'm 80, I may run out of money or that the pension won't be enough. And my grandson says, don't worry, I'll take care of you. I'll give you some of my money. <laughs> Look, you just put that back in the stand. Thank you. And, and so, like, again, there you just see, you know, because I used to have this idea, you know, thank you for sharing that, Beth, that once I'm retired, no more money worries. You know, only thing I have to worry about is what's the cheapest buffet for lunch. That's it. But, but, but that's not it. You know, there are even worries there. And so the question becomes, like, how is it that, that we can start to wrestle with this? And, and I especially want to say there's a lot of people, because in this congregation and elsewhere, who are mid-career and get downsized, and that creates a whole nother layer of anxiety. If you're in your 40s or 50s and you're downsized, it's hard to figure out how to deal with this economy and how do we deal with, with the need to put food on the table, take care of our kids, etc. I think for a lot of people, maybe this New Yorker cartoon rings true. Whatever the economy is doing, it's doing it without me. Statistics for you. So, so the unemployment rate is at a, at a historic low. That's, that's good news. But then there's this other statistic equally important, and that's the labor participation rate. Right now, the labor partici participation rate is very, very low, at a historic low. 62.7% of Americans who can work are. That just tells you that a lot of people have sort of said, hey, I don't see a place in this economy for me, so they've opted out. And that is its own form of, of challenge, its own form of sadness. And we have to see with economic things like what we can change and what we can't. And again, coming back to a different perspective. I want you all to say a very loud yes to this question. I'm giving you the answer ahead of time. Does the Bible have anything to offer us about economic anxiety? Yes. Yes, yes of course it does. Of course it does. It has some wonderful things to offer us in terms of, of how we can hold this in different ways. Now, the story I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story that's, and, and for the kids, this story is like 4,000 years old. This is an old story. And it tells you about how, again, we've, we've always kind of had this anxiety that we've carried with us, part of the human condition. The story goes way back, and I want the kids to shout out. Can you guess what country this story goes back to? Kids, shout it out. Egypt, we have more than, more than just one kid in the audience. Could you all say it? Egypt. Egypt, thank you. Egypt, it's Egypt. And you see on the right, there's a little thing of Pharaoh, and there's the pyramids. It goes story way back to the time of Egypt. 
what was called the children of Israel, what was, what was the very core and the, and the seed of modern day Judaism was a tribe of people who were enslaved in Egypt. The person who was the overseer, who was the king at that time, was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh kind of determined and, and, and really ran their lives. And there's some historical belief, maybe those, maybe those ancient Jews, maybe they helped to build the pyramids as slave labor. We really don't know. But it is, it is a fascinating story. And it's, it's, it's why this story has lived on for 4,000 years. Because it, it speaks to a slavery of our heart. Yes, it was talking about a literal slavery, but it's also speaking to what enslaves us in our minds. We all have a Pharaoh part. We all have a part that actually enslaves us. Well, what happens is that this tribe, this tribe starts to get really clear messages. It's time to be free. I mean, how many of us can identify with that? Hmm? It's time to be free. The slavery gig, not working so well. So what happens is as these rumblings start, God kind of gets a leader. His name is Moses. His story is is a very unique story, wonderful story that I could preach on for a month. I'm not going to. We'll just say Moses. And Moses comes to these people and he starts organizing them to leave. So Moses had this connection with Pharaoh. That's another interesting story. But he had this connection with Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, look, could you just give these people three days off? So they can go out, they they can worship as they feel called. In other words, he's saying, give them a long weekend. Just, Just that simple, like give them some time off. And he says, look, here it is, here it is, Pharaoh. Can we say that together? Let my people, let my people go. Let my people go. Just three days, let them go. Take a guess, what does Pharaoh say? No, no, can't do it. And not only does he say, no, I can't do it. He actually takes it to a whole nother extreme. And that's where I'm gonna step over here. A big part of what they had done as slaves in ancient Egypt, they had made bricks. Not bricks that they were making for their own houses, for their own places of life, but bricks that they were making for Pharaoh for all the different things he was building at that time. So this was one of their primary jobs. So again, let's look at the story. Moses says, look, let my people go. Give them three days. Pharaoh says, say it again. Pharaoh says, No, and then he comes up with this, and then he adds on this. That same day, Pharaoh gave the order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. So they used to have them in these brickyards making bricks. They would give them the supplies, and then the people would form and shape and and cook the bricks. And he's saying, all right, fine, you want three days off. I'm actually going to ramp it up. I'm actually going to make it even more challenging to make these bricks. I'm actually going to ask more and more of you. And again, think of our brain, that part of you that believes even though you're overworked and overstressed, that the answer to being overworked and overstressed is working more and stressing more. A lot of you are guilty of that. I certainly am, right? So so kind of like he's saying, yeah, I'm going to ramp it up. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. Oh, and this is a great line. Don't reduce the quota because they are lazy. 
Again, that part of your brain that thinks like, yeah, time off, lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to your God. Make them work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. And here he's talking about Moses. That part, folks, is crazy. And yet we, we live in a world that, that, that oftentimes we have that inside our heads, so we keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. We know we're moving too fast. We know we have too much anxiety. We know we have too much stress. So what do we do? We work harder and harder and harder, believing, and this is for me, I don't know if it's for you, but I imagine for some of you will be able to resonate with this, believing that if I just work harder, eventually I'll find rest. I'll be retired, have plenty of money, and a grandson to support me the rest of my days. Not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. And that can create sort of some wacky behavior. Another New Yorker cartoon. Everybody's getting together after, after work to do some more work. You in. <laughs> work is 24-7 in a way that it just didn't used to be. You know, and just, just think, as the band comes out, think about those changes that we've seen. You know, when Bob Plefka, when he, when he preached a couple of weeks ago, I was able to watch from England and text Bob back and forth while he's backstage, uh, you know, during a song. That's good and bad, and it certainly gives a lot of flame to, or, or a lot of food to sort of my desire to be a control enthusiast. Good and bad. Now, how do we sort of opt out of it? So Angela's going to come out. She's going to say a few things. Then you're going to hear this middle song and just start to think, yeah, how, how can we break this? How does God actually break this craziness to give us a new way to see it, to give us a new way, listen carefully, to find peace, to find peace. Angela? Hello again. So it, it is interesting. How do, we, how do we make that shift? So sleep like a baby tonight. I mean, somebody brought up babies are the only ones with zero economic worries. And I thought that's really, that is really actually true. So I want us again to, to really see what the problem is. So I'm about to unleash your inner Pharaoh. All right. So what we're going to do is we do this on occasion where we put up a timer, we put a question up. We give people 60 seconds to share an answer or the welcome with somebody around them. If you're online, you're welcome to text in an answer to me. And that's this question. Complete the following statement. If I don't, dot, 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 then. If I don't, dot, 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 then. Where do you find yourself enslaved by that? Like, oh, if I don't answer this email, blah, 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 or if I don't make blah, 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 then, whatever it is for you, where do you kind of get into that hook of, if I don't, then da-da-da. All right? I hope that makes sense. So if I don't, then dot-dot-dot. Take a minute. You can either share that with someone or you're welcome to text it into me if you're online. If I don't do this, then this will happen. Please share. Go.
So there were so many, there were so many good ones out there. I wanted to see whether anybody wanted to, to share an answer and then I'll share a few that we got online. So we, do we have just a couple of people who'd like to share? Yeah, this is what it showed up for me. A lot of you had really good answers, by the way. If I don't, then dot, dot, dot. Someone want to share an answer? Well, we were just sort of joking that I start with, if, if I don't bring new business in, then my company's going to fail, but then there's dot, 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 then I'll lose my job, dot, 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 then we'll be poor, dot, 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 then we'll lose our house. That's, yes. that's how it goes for us. How many of us are totally invested in that particular racket? Yeah, we, we got it. We got it down. Another one out there? If I don't, just one more? Some brave person? All right, Mark. saw Mary with her hand half up over there. <laughs> so if I don't have a, air quote, normal job based on all my qualifications and experience, I'll be seen as giving up, not uh, maximizing my talents and potential, and not bringing value to society. Making my wife feel less secure though she really doesn't express that as much. Great, great, thank you. Give those folks a round of applause. And it is interesting, right? Like hearing how, how people react, you know, Mark's saying we can feel like it can, it can lapse over, we catastrophize really quickly. Here are some from our online audience from the Poconos. If I don't go to work because my child is sick, then I could lose my job. If I don't work hard enough, then I'm not worthy or deserving. If I don't work hard enough today, it will be harder tomorrow. If I don't do it today, I'll have double the workload tomorrow. If I don't try to make my kid's life easier than my life, then I'm failing as a mom. You could say dad on that one. That's a, that's a really good one. If I don't do it, it simply doesn't get done. If I don't keep working at 100%, this is a good one. If I don't keep working at 100%, God will not see how hard I'm trying. That's good. And I, and I think, folks, we can, we can get that, right? And, and we can play that game and we can, we can rattle around in our head. So much of life, this is something I've said before, I just get more and more clear about it. So much of our life is determined by the stories we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves a good story, life tends to be pretty good, even in hard circumstances. We tell ourselves a negative story, life tends to be pretty negative, even if there are good circumstances. And the problem is when we keep on telling a negative story, we keep on having this anxiety, we allow that doom loop to keep on growing and growing and growing and growing. We give Pharaoh, Pharaoh figuratively, more and more power over us. That doom loop can create a lot of despair, a lot of economic despair. It's, and, and it's interesting. You know, a number of times, you know, I've worked with people who are in that economic despair part. And I'm going to say this so gently. Can you all hear this very gently? Please say yes. 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 Just, I'm saying this really gently. And they come in and they're in economic despair. And they'll say, Chuck, this is our economic despair. And they make a lot more money than I do. You know? And, and that doesn't mean that, you know, that I'm underpaid. That's not what I'm trying to say here. That's what I wanted to hear gently. It's just, it just, it gets me really clear that money problems aren't about money. Money worries actually are not about money. They're about other things. 
So, so we need to be, be aware, again, that Pharaoh part, that despair. We need to start to understand what despair means. What despair does, it detaches us from God's story. Because this is what it really believes. Number two is really the critical one. It believes that whatever the truth is, whatever the bigger story may be, that there's nothing in it for me. Yeah, God, I get it. You do great things for other people, but nothing in it for me. I'm somehow detached from God's story over here. And that can get in to a spiritual part, to to a spiritual piece. It unmoors us from the work of hope and despair. And this is a crazy one. Despair can actually come to enslave us. So God wants to break this. God wants to change this. He wants to take this despair and kind of flip it. And could you all ask how really loud? How? I want you to look at this. This is like crazy good stuff to watch how he flips it. What happens? What happens? The next part of the story. This group of slaves eventually is free and they start wandering out towards what is called the promised land. And as a pit stop along the way, God stops them and says, all right, here are the 10 rules to live by. Not all of you know this, but those are called the 10 the Ten Commandments. And it's easy to look at those Ten Commandments completely out of context. To look at them completely as rules. Like, great, you take us out in the desert and then you tell us how we're supposed to travel. Bunch of rules. No, we miss it. So I want you guys, I'm going to be stepping over here in a minute. When I do, I'm going to be reading it to you. But, but in the brief seconds, it takes me to like a lightning jump from here to there. I want you to think, what would your perspective be? So, so you go out there, you've, you've been forced to make bricks, you've been forced to produce at a level that's unsustainable. You've given yourself over to fear, anxiety, frenetic activity. The Pharaoh in your brain has only one word, which is more. You gotta do more, you gotta do more, you gotta do more. You're enslaved by that. And when I step over here, I want you to hear what some call the primary commandment is out of those 10. And think about how this would land. Think about it in the context of these bricks. This is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh, I mean, this should bring almost tears. The seventh is a Sabbath to your Lord. On it, you should not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant. Now remember, folks, they are slaves. How many of them were, were toting servants into the, <laughs> into the desert? Take a guess. Zero, None nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. They didn't even have any towns. He's clearly saying like, treat other people with the same compassion that I'm treating you. People who are foreigners, people who are slaves, people who are servants, treat them with the same compassion I'm showing you. And then it goes on. For in six days, the Lord made heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord rested on the Sabbath day and made it holy. Made it holy. Folks, what we see here, just, just, just think about the way these people would have heard that. Does anybody want to shout out a word? How would the people have heard this? How would they have felt about it? You can just shout something out. Yeah, you know, just this, 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 you know, this, this, this anger of all these things that had happened. And now all of a sudden here's God saying, you will have rest. You're actually going to have a day of peace, a day that you won't work. Just imagine how that would have landed on them. Because I think this gets into a much bigger, much more significant spiritual principle. We tend to look at God's laws as laws, you know, laws. Thou shalt not. We don't tend to look at them as promises, as freedom. Like, look, you can have a life, and yep, a lot of that life is going to be challenging. You're going to be running a million miles an hour to figure out how to pay off college loans, to save up for a new house, to do this, to do that, and to do the other thing. And what I'm promising you is that you can also, if you so choose, find rest. Find a day where, again, where it's no more bricks. And that letting go, okay, seven days, that letting go on the sixth day is holy. It's a great reason to come to church. That letting go on that seventh day, is holy. I, I think, again, this is a little bit of an aside. For those of you who are first-time attendees, sometimes I go on little tangents. You know, to get to New Jersey, I go to Ohio. I'm going to go to Ohio for a second. Sometimes even our letting go, which we think is entertainment, we even treat that as work. Where getting entertained becomes a job. We try taking our kids to Disney World. Trust me, that's a job. That letting go one day a week is an act of incredible holiness. It's a command that bridges. It both goes back to God, how we relate to God, and it both goes forward in terms of how we relate to other people. Ten commandments, number four, the first three are all about God. The next are all about how we treat each other. Sabbath is kind of the pivot. It really teaches us both and. Because if we can let go and find that holiness, we do find something very different with how we relate one to another. I'm going to step back over here. What we do is we find movements from and to. I'm going to have you say the yellow ones. We move from productivity to connection. We move from anxiety to We move from individual worry to? We move from despair to? To hope. These movements, folks, I I think there's so much about what what a Sabbath day can be. Yes, we're going to have those things on the left. Six days of it, actually. We're going to have that. That That is part of the human condition. But here's a promise that we can find these other places, these other days, these other times that are really about connection, contentment, shared humanity, and hope. 
I, I got an email this morning from someone when I put out there what the, what the service was. And they said, Chuck, you got to be able to answer this question. I, I struggle with this. How do you tell people to let go when there's no food to feed their children or their electricity has been shut off? And I have to answer, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what to say there. I don't know what to say. But what I do know is I do know that the answer is not going to come from a place where we're only worried about productivity, anxiety, individual worry, and despair. The answer is much more likely to grow out of connection, contentment, shared humanity, and hope. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Because life, I, I feel like so much of life as we saw, well, I should ask, how many of us saw the beautiful sky a few nights ago? Wasn't that incredible? You know, here's a picture from one of our parishioners of it. Isn't that amazing? Like, it feels so much of our lives is like this, and we can see this as two ways. So, so I can look at this, and I can see this picture, you know, in terms of, of the children of Israel finally being free, and all these storm clouds that were, that were Egypt, and the Pharaoh, and, and being enslaved, and bricks, more bricks, more bricks, more bricks, all of that. And then they just get this little band of hope out there. This little band of hope, that's the promised land. And I feel like our lives are the same. We can get so dark and, and filled with such despair. And God is constantly calling us into Sabbath rest in a time where we're quiet enough to see it. Where we're quiet enough to look at the horizon. Don't look at the eclipse. Where, 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 we're, where we're quiet enough to look at the horizon and see hope there. And this hope, this is what Christian hope is. It, it, it's a hope that moves us forward into a future, into a future that's good. And that is both these things, that is both possible and difficult. It's both possible and difficult. Church will not solve all money anxieties, but maybe it gives us a horizon in the storm of life that we can start to move towards. And then maybe we can live into this idea, this passage here from Zechariah. I'll release your prisoners from their hopeless cells. Come home, hope-filled prisoners. In my business, we talk about giving ourselves over to God and an empowering surrender. So we can be this. Listen to this, folks. Listen, this is so beautiful. So we can become prisoners of hope. No longer slaves to Pharaoh. Slaves to bricks. But prisoners of hope. Seeing the economic peace as important as a means to an end. And also remembering the significance of Sabbath rest. A time where we turn it off. A time where we find connection and common humanity and shared hope. A time where we gather just like we have over the past hour. That's the art. That's the art of letting go. Amen. We're now going to close today's service. I'm going to offer a prayer. You have the opportunity to say your own prayer, say the Lord's prayer as you know it, or to have a moment of quiet reflection. Have a moment to think, again, like as the new church says, temptation is when we have a doubt as to the end. Now we can maybe get a different sense about what the end is, what the point is. And then I'm going to ask you to, to, 
sing with us on the last song. Can we all say the word radiate together? Ready? Radiate. You now know the chorus to the last song. So I'd ask you to join us with singing with that. You're welcome to stand or stay seated for the last song, but join us with Radiate. So please join me now in a final prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today on this day of Sabbath. And Lord, what a joy it is. What a joy it is that we have just had together a day, an hour, a time of rest, a time of connection a time of common humanity, a time of hope. Allow us, Lord, to find ways to move forward in that light, in light of this Sabbath commandment. Yes, seeing it as a law, and more importantly, seeing it as a promise, a promise of freedom, a promise we may only experience one day out of seven, but Lord, that is enough. Thank you for your presence here among us today. Bless this amazing congregation. Bless their ways. Give them peace. Stir in their hearts Sabbath rest. And allow us to go forth, Lord, this week. Simply do this. Radiate. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.